Hebrews 8, and everybody saying, let's begin, we must begin. Okay, this week's parsha we know is Kitisa, and uh, the major story is the Egel Azav. Unfortunate episode in Klai Yisrael. In fact, um, <clears throat> in fact, the Gemara says if it wasn't for the Egel Azav, Gemara says in Erevin, we would, no nation could ever mess with us. If it wasn't for the Yegel Azav, no nation could ever really fight with us and we would always win. But it had tremendous ramifications for millennia that it happened. And uh, I want you to know that Khur died al Kiddush Hashem. He refused to build anything and make any Cheshbonis. And that's why Bitzalel, that's why Bitzalel is, uh, good morning, Sam. Betzalel, many times he's mentioned in the Torah, it could be every time his grandfather's name is mentioned. Betzalel had been already been Khur, which is really unique. Usually we don't mention the grandfather all the time. So the Patika Rav says, I'll tell you what the Pshat is. Kumar says in Brachas and Armsikta that Betzalel was Bar Mitzvah age when he built the Mishkan. And he built the Mishkan with the same letters that the Zohar says Hashem created the world. It means he was, he was a super duper genius. And Hashem said, that's the point. Meaning that Chor, Hashem says, you didn't use your wisdom and make a cheshman why it might be okay to build a Zahav. You didn't do that. <coughs> you didn't make any cheshbonus, and therefore I'm going to give you a grandson who's a super-duper genius. And that super-duper genius is going to build a Mishkan. You follow me? That's the stress of Tzalad ibn Uri ibn Chor. Because Chor didn't use his wisdom in a negative way. You make a cheshman why it might be okay. Therefore, Chur died al Hashem, but Hashem granted him with a what? With a grandson that was a super duper genius. How was Chur supposed to use his to build the ego? No, no, he did not make a cheshbon. Like Aaron made a cheshbon, maybe it was okay to do. He was supposed to make a cheshbon? No, he was not supposed to, and he didn't. And because of that, he was rewarded greatly. Uh, Aaron made a whole pilpul why it was okay. In fact, get this down. So, Rashi Tyson said, Hedron, Zion, Amenaf, was Aaron right or wrong? Was Aaron right or wrong? Because he was overly from the Ever by Avodazara. Assuming the Gemara says Befeirish that it was Avodazara, they go Azav. Sanhedrin, Zion, and Aleph. Gemara says Befeirish that it was considered the Egel Azav was Avodazara. So you, he was basically machshul them to do Avodazara. If someone takes a gun to my head and says, I'm going to kill you unless you're machshul someone in Avodazara, do I have to let myself be killed? I feel like it's Balamor and Ban. I feel like it's Balamor and Ban because no leaf Ever. I'm machshul someone who was. I'm not doing the avodah I'm causing someone to stumble in it. Is leaf neiver an iser prati or an iser klali? Do you know what I mean by iser prati? Means does it subsume the avodah or is it a iser klali that it's general? It's not one of the slows of errors. You don't have to give up your life. This seems to be a machlis Rashi Tyson Sanhedrin Zion and Aleph. Did he do the right thing or did he do the wrong thing? Amaisa. So whatever it is, it wasn't a great thing. Okay, it was not a great thing, and therefore. That's what I mean to say by Chur didn't make any cheshbonis, and Chur, um, you know, died al Kiddush Hashem, and that's why he was given a super uh, grandson that was a super duper genius. You follow what I'm saying? That's the Kiddush that I want to bring out here. Okay, and that's what you have, Lamaisa, in, in Parsha's Kitisa. Okay? You have this Kiddush, Lamaisa, and. Uh, that's what I wanted to begin with. Now, as I said, the Poshabshan and Gemara is the Gemara calls it a Vodazara. There is a Ramban in the Kuzari that claim it was not a Vodazara. 
<coughs> they claim that, that the Klai Yisrael wanted to concretize the relationship to Hashem and communicate with Him in a different, in a better way. So they thought they built this Meshuggan thing, they could communicate better. That's what the Ramban and the Kuzari say. Isn't that the whole, isn't that the whole taiva of Zara? Is that like, before anyone had like davening or sidurim, they had no way to like channel their love for Hashem, whatever? So I don't know, that I never heard, really. That I never heard. I heard. You know, the, the, the Ramam describes... I don't know. I never heard that before. The Ramam may be referring to, Sam, as the Ramam describes in Zara that the sun, stars, and moon, they all realized in the beginning that it, they were servants of Hashem. So they thought they could relate to Hashem through them. And then after so long, they forgot that who created the sun, moon, and stars. So it became deities, right? A similar thing? That's what you're driving at. Could be, could be, could be. You're, you're basically driving at the Rambam. That's how the Ram describes in Nichols of Odazara, the history behind of Odazara. That's correct. But the Ramban and Kuzari have this theory, which is a pella, because the Gemara seems to say black and white, it's of Odazara. And we know how bad Odazara was. We know how much it affected. If it, you know, the Gemara says, if the Egel Azav wouldn't happen, no nation could ever fight us. Hamas never would have been able to touch us. The Egel Azav, if it wasn't for the Egel Azav, August, October 7th never would have happened, it seems. That's based on the Gemara. Okay, so I want you to get that. That's what I wanted to begin with, with this Chiddush. Okay, yes, go ahead. Yes. Yes. I thought the Ramam were more in the group and that the Kurbanos were just that, that the Bezimengus was just that, because there was a Taiva in the world for it at the time. We'll discuss in a few weeks when we get to Sefer Yikr, but the Ram says different. Ram says in Mornavuchim, this is a radical thing. He says that the way the pagans used to serve their God was through sacrifices. So Hashem wanted to give a similar way to serve Him, who's the real God. That's a very radical thing, because that's like Chukas Agoyim a little bit, what the Ram's saying. The Anshikinus Agdola took away the Itzahara for Avodazara. Yes. Yeah, then, and then the people stopped having kids, correct. And they limited it to only, you know, they didn't, they didn't, the morning bench. It doesn't apply to relatives. They took it away relatives, correct. Excellent. Okay, so that's the first Kiddush. Uh, that's the first Kiddush we want to talk about with the Eagle Hazahav. And uh, I want to continue upon that right now. You know, Moshe Rabbeinu knew already what was built. What, what, what basically motivated him to throw down and break the Luchos? So the Svornu says a very powerful thing, and that is because he saw them prancing and dancing. And when he saw them prancing and dancing about this terrible Avera, he said, this is, this, is, this, is, this is pathetic. He said, it's one thing to do an Avera, but to, doubt, to have a Geshmak about it, that's it, forget it. And he took the Luchos and he broke it. And if you look at the Psukim, it seems like he only broke it after he saw them dancing. Okay? If you look at the Psukim closely, that's what he seems to say, Lamaisa. That's what he seems to say. That's what the Sforno actually says. So that's a very powerful thing. And uh, it's one thing a guy doesn't have error, but to get a schmack about it. And I want to be able to expand this a little bit. You know, it's very hard to deal with a guy that, that won't admit to his mistakes. There are people that say that the error they did is really a mitzvah. Those people are very hard to deal with. One thing, if you realize you have remorse, you did something wrong. And when they're prancing and dancing about it, that's a terrible thing. And that's what the Sforno says, as the Abishter said, you know, this is what? This is, this is, uh, the most rabbinic, this is ridiculous. Okay? So that's, what'd you say? Yeah, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave me Yashar Koyach, right? HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave me a big Yashar Koyach when he broke the Luchos. We know that, right? Yeah? He gave me a big, big Yashar Koyach, and I wanted to read the Lashon, I don't see it here. 
um, of the uh, Svornu, but that's what he says the Pshat is, okay? That's the Kiddush of the Svornu. Svornu gives this Pshat that he saw them dance. It could be it was in the other, it's in the other Sefer that the, quotes the Svornu. So I want you to get that. What would you say? No, no, it's, it's all right. It's downstairs. It's okay. That's the Kiddush. The Svornu, you'll look up the Pasuk. That's the Kiddush I wanted to bring out in Omaisa. Okay, now, um, there's something very fascinating also, and I always tell you, like, we look about, like in Shas, you want to have, like, a global, universal, so so do when you're looking in the Chumash. We talked about that at great length with the Ein Muktamukhim Batayr. The seven aliyahs into where the Parsha is subdivided are generally evenly spaced. Usually in our Parsha, the seven, av- uh, seven aliyahs are evenly spaced. If you look in Kitisa, it's not that way at all. Parsha's Kitisa contains 100... Good morning, Akiva. Parshish, however, Parshish Kitisa contains 139 psukim, yet the first two aliyahs contain a distant proportion of 92 psukim. That's two-thirds of the Parsha. It's two-thirds of the Parsha. So two-thirds of the Parsha is, uh, makes up of the first two aliyahs. That's obviously um, very, very what? Disproportionate. So it's very disproportionate what's going on. So the Chudish Arim is Masber, that the majority of Kitisa discusses the sin of the Egel Azav, like we started with. Okay? It discusses the sin of the Egel Azav, a national embarrassment of unprecedented proportions. For someone to be called up to the Torah when this is a sin in which his ancestors may have played a role as being recounted would be humiliating. So you know who gets the first two aliyahs? The Kohen and Levi who did not participate. It's a very sharp shot. Did Shev and Levi prove their faithful, faithfulness by refusing to take part in the sin and assisting Moshe in punishing the wrongdoers? Therefore, the first two aliyahs which are given to the descendants of the Levim are atypically length, lengthened until the narrative of the golden calf is completed. You hear that vort? It's a beautiful vort. There are only 3,000 people that were killed. Mila Shem Eli. Only 3,000 people were killed. Why was it such a big deal? Out of 600,000? Why, why, why has it become such a... Uh, it was such a calamity, and it is to this day. 3,000 out of 600,000. You know why? Because everyone thought it was okay. There might have been only 3,000 that engaged in serving it, but 600,000 people, a lot of them, besides the people that said, and the Pesach says that they killed their brethren. You know, it says they killed Hirgus Achiv. And what's the famous Gemara Sachem say? I want you to get this Kiddush of the Nitziv. That Shluchim Mitzvah ain't in Izukim. If you do a Mitzvah, if you're a Shlich of a Mitzvah, there's no, you're not going to be damaged. But the Gemara says that's an exception if the Shlich Hazeka. If you go to a neighborhood or a place where it's a common place of damage, there's no Avtach, you'll be protected. But you know what the Nitziv is, Machadish? That if you do a Lishma, then even in Shlich Hazeka, you'll be protected. And that's exactly what, no, not one guy got killed who killed their brethren because they did it Mila Shemelai. They were Kululi Shmo. You got that? If they were Kululi Shmo, that's a very powerful, powerful concept, Lamaisa, that comes up. They were Kululi Shmo. When they're Kululi Shmo, that beats out what? That beats out Shkich Ezekah. And therefore, Shluchim Mitzah and Nizukin, and therefore, it's not considered to be a problem at all in, that, in, in this, in this Kiddush. Okay? Not considered to be a problem at all. Okay, now this leads us to the next chiddush I want you to get. Okay, this leads us to the next chiddush I want you to get, and um, 
it's very, very important, Lamaise, that we think about this concept, okay? A person has to have sheifas and desires, Lamaise. Yes? Sheifas, sheifot. Sheifot means a desire. Do you know how the Torah describes Yoshua in our Parsha? As a nar. What's a nar? A young lad. Do you know how old he was? If you look at the Cheshman, he was 56. The Ibn Ezra says he was 56. Now, usually 56-year-old guys are not called lads. So the Ibn Ezra, Lamaisa, says a very, very powerful shot based on this, is Yoshua lived 110 years, but he was always so motivated. He was always so motivated, he treated himself as a nar all the time. And Lamaise, he was always seeking out, he never missed shear from Moshe Rabbeinu. And it says, it says, Yoshua, being noon. What is being noon? What is being noon? He understood. Loshan Navon. There was no one Navon for Chacham Kamohu. He was able to, it, it says in Brachas and Davzain, Gadol Shimusho Yosem Ilimudo, in Armasechta. He used to serve Moshe Rabbeinu, but he also, he also knew the, knew the Shurim. And he knew the Joshas. And this is why he viewed himself as always being able to grow. You know how they crew him right, like a young child. So that's exactly what we assume that he was what? Yoshua was like a nar in that sense. And therefore, he was able to what? He was able to grow because Torah is kept by someone who wants to grow more and more. You know, there's a Gemara in Tmura. I want you to get this on Davtet Zion of an It says, Amr of Yudamarav. At the time that Moshe Rabbeinu passed away, Amr Vidur Rabbi Shash and Niftar Moshe Rabbeinu Lagan Eden Amr Lo Yoshua Shel Mi Meni Kol Sveika Sheish Lacha. He said to Yoshua, "Ask me anything you want. Ask me anything you need before he passes away." You got this, Sam? Amr Lo Rabbi Klumi Nachta Shachas Olachti Lamakamacher. He said, "I know all the shurim. I don't need to ask anything." Isn't that amazing? All of a sudden. Miad Tasha Kokos Yoshua. He forgot all 300 halachas. He forgot 300 halachas once he said that. And 700 sfekas came about, and Klai Yisrael was ready to kill him. So Akadosh Baruch Hu said, Rashi says, 300 halachas got forgotten. Because he caused Moshe Rabbeinu to be depressed. Why did Moshe Rabbeinu cause to get get depressed? Because Moshe Rabbeinu was a, was 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 what was depressed on Yoshua Shayagadol Kamosu that he was as great as him. What's wrong with that? Why did he get depressed that he had built a Talmud that's as great as him? Why would he be depressed about that? Because he's no longer unique. He was on of Adam. What he, he what, when he was unimikolada, he's upset that Yoshua reached his Moshe Rabbeinu's madrega. No, so the Sefer of Otsus Agad on Yun Yaakov says like this: Rosh Hashanah, you know Rosh Hashanah, he was the Shmashkiach and Shalbim when I was there. I'm not sure if he's still living. He was a great, great Tamachacham. He retired many, many years ago, and he, he lived in Bnei Brak. He was the biggest Bucky in the world in Maraus. In general, he's a tremendous Bucky. So you know what he wants to claim? He wants to claim this really bothered Moshe Rabbeinu. Of course he was proud of Yoshua, that he had reached a level like him. 
But it bothered him that Yoshua had no questions. He said he knew everything. It, it marked to him that he like he didn't need he, he thought he didn't need to grow anymore. You got me? That depressed Moshe Rabbeinu, and that caused Hashem to make Yoshua forget all these halachas. The lack of aspiring for Shaifas of more and more. That's what really bothered Moshe Rabbeinu. You got me, Sam? Not a, not that what he was he was his greatest in. But he was upset that what the meanest of Yoshua, he's a big tzaddik now, but he says he knows everything. Come on, there's always growth. No matter who you are, there's always growth. And therefore, that's what it means he's called the Nar. He's called the Nar because why? Because he had the Shifas, like a young guy. Even at the age of 56, the Ezra calls him, calls him a Nar. And that's this shot of being, being, noon, understanding. He wanted to grow in more and more. And he hopped this. He got a big musr from it. He got a big musr from it, and he turned it around, Yoshua. Not that he had to turn around and done anything wrong, but that he knew that he had made a mistake with that. And he says, I got to strive for more and more and more. And this was the godless of the greatness of Yoshua. Okay? Now let's continue. In the Parsha, there's quite a bit about Shemir Shabbos. But we learned about it at the beginning of the year. Unfortunately, the war happened. We knew that Shmira Shabbos is supposed to be our Shmira, but we know we know what happened with the war. And as I said before, the Gemara says in Erevin, if it wasn't for the Egelazav, the Hamas would not have won. Because the Egelazav happened, that other nations can, can fight with us. But I want you to get this. We are only permitted, but required. We are not only permitted... But we are required to desecrate Shabbos in order to save a Jew's life. We know Pikuach Nefesh is Docha, everything except the Gimel of Eris. This would seem to indicate that human life is more important than observing Shabbos. <clears throat> On the other hand, the Torah decrees in Shmos, in our portion, in Lamed Aleph Pasuk that any Jew who performs forbidden labor on Shabbos is to be put to death, which implies that Shabbos takes precedence over human life. Which of the two is in fact more valuable? Isn't that amazing, Kasha? On one hand, Pikuach Nefesh is Dolka Shabbos. On the other hand, if you're Mechal Shabbos, we kill you. So what's going on? Sam, you hear that? What do you mean not really? So what's the answer? If someone is dying, we can save his life from Mechal Shabbos. But if someone's Mechal Shabbos, amazing, we kill him. So doesn't that show that Shabbos is more, val- more important than life? Because we kill a guy over it. You have a steer, no? So the Meshachachma, the great Gon. Nor Samach says that life of a Jew is certainly more valuable than observing Shabbos. As if the Jew isn't alive, he is no longer able to observe Shabbos and testify to Hashem's role in creating the universe. However, if a Jew intentionally desecrates Shabbos, he cuts off his soul from the connection to Hashem. In doing so, he becomes degraded and his spiritual level is even less than that of an animal. Once he has voluntarily severed his relation with Hashem, death is actually a preferable alternative because he's like an animal. So he's killed for his sin, which helps him to receive atonement because he's basically acting less than a what? He's basically acting less than an animal. You got that? I mean, you're, con- you're, you're, you're intentionally cutting yourself off from the Abishur. You're not connected to Hashem, you're like an animal, and therefore what? You should be killed. And we want to kill the guy so we'll have an atonement. But if a guy's a good guy and he's, 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 he's dying, of course we give him the Chal Shabbat to save his life. Yes, go ahead, Akiva. Can't hear you. 
Yeah, because we assume someone's not Shomer is a Tinuk Shanishpa, a baby that's captured, like the Chazanish says. I thought you were going to ask me about a Goy. So you're allowed to because we may Ava because of pogroms and anti-Semitism. Yes, because of Ava. If he's going to die. The question is, what do you do on a desert island? No one's there. There's no problem of Ava. I don't know. Pashup Shad is, you can't, but I don't know. That's what, that's what I'm saying. Only because of Ava. Okay. Let's continue now. The Gomorrah comments in the Dorim on Daflam and Chesim and Aleph that during the initial 40 days that Moshe was on Har Sinai, he learned the entire Torah from Hashem each day, only forget it until finally Hashem gave him the knowledge as a gift. This is in Shmos, Perik Lamed Aleph, What was Hashem's purpose in teaching him the Torah for 40 consecutive days when he knew that Moshe would what? The Moshe would forget it. What's the point of learning it every day and then forgetting it? Learning every day, forgetting. Learning every day, forgetting. What's the purpose of that? Nate, you follow me? So the Alshech HaKadosh quoted Natar Lamelech. The Alshech HaKadosh gave two Ezbeirim. First, Moshe needed to completely purify his soul to the highest degree possible in order to merit receiving the entire Torah and teaching it to the Jewish people. And each additional day that he learned the Torah served to further purify him. Second, Torah knowledge is only given as a gift to somebody who first expends all his effort and energy to attain it. Rav Avram Yaakov Palm, Atar Lamech, Rav Palm Zatzal, derives from here that when a person studies Torah and forgets it, he shouldn't become despondent and feel that his efforts were wasted. The Torah he learned still serves to purify and uplift his soul so that he will be able so he will be better able to understand it. And it also helps him to merit a gift of Torah knowledge even beyond what he would naturally be able to attain and comprehend. You follow what I'm saying? So the first answer is to reach a higher degree. Learning Torah purifies you. The second answer is what? What do you say? He shouldn't become upset because he still... He still the Torah he learns still serves to purify and uplift his soul. He better be able to understand it the next time. So number one, it purifies. Number two, it's be able to understand it the next time. And also helps to mirror the gift of Torah knowledge, even beyond we didn't actually be able to uh, apprehend. You follow me? It's always a constant work. What you do today, the machaber with the mishabur, every mishabur in the Biralachim. I photocopied it new so it's not cut off. But you must do the Gemara first. Finish chazering over the Gemara from what we uh, did yesterday, because we didn't finish... You know the story. We didn't get up to the story. Finish the Gemara Ashutaisis, and then you must see the what the Mechaber Mishabur and every Bralachim. Okay, we got a long seder, so we have to do it. Okay, now let's continue. Now there is an uh, amazing thing. You're all familiar with the Yigimomidos, yes? What are the Yigimomidos? The Midas of Rachamim. Rashi says the repetition of Hashem's name refers to the fact that Hashem is merciful before a person sins. And after he sins and repents. Let me ask you a question. Can't hear you. No, it's this week's partial. You're Gimelmidis. This is where we're playing Kitisa. It's all very far, hard to find it in the Sefer Torah. Antinus, have you ever had a lane on Antinus of Mincha? It's very hard to find it. It's in this week's partial, Nate. But I have a question for you. Hashem, Hashem, Kel Rachum Luchanun. Hashem before you sin, Hashem after you sin. What do you need Hashem's mercy before you sin for? Isn't that a great kasha? 
What do you mean Hashem's mercy before you sin? The focus. Right? What's that all about? Hashem doesn't punish a person for sinful thoughts until he acts on them. What's the one of error that Hashem punishes you for sinful thoughts? Avodah thoughts. No other thought. That, that doesn't mean that it's good to have your hurin. Don't think, oh, it's okay to have hurin because you're not punished for it. Kasher hurin the Gemara says in Yuma. But Lamaisa, the only avera you're punished for is you think about doing Avodah Zarah. By Goyim, if, Hashem, if, if they have bad thoughts, Hashem punishes them. Hashem is more merciful to the Jews than the Goyim. Yes, Gemara Kedushin Davnem Amidalov. So what's going on with this? What is this notion of mercy before you sin? So the Daskanim writes and answers that divine mercy is needed because Hashem knows that the person will sin. Wow. Therefore what? Therefore what? The Rival writes that it is needed in the case of a person who is thinking of committing idolatry, as the Gemara teaches that one is punished for idolatrous thoughts. Therefore, this attribute is only mentioned here, as the Cheda Egel involved idolatry. But it is omitted in the list of attributes invoked after the Cheda, Meraglim, in Bamidbar. And it wasn't needed there because that sin wasn't idolatrous in nature. Nate, Nate there's a second place, the second part is Shlachlacha, where the Yugel Momidus. But that first one doesn't appear. Because that wasn't a Vodazarah. The Rosh gives both answers. The Kutzka Rebbe suggests that before one has sinned, he needs mercy because he may view himself as completely righteous and become arrogant. That's why you need mercy. Because you think you what? You think before your sin, you're a great guy. What do you think the Dazkani means that divine mercy is needed because Hashem knows that the person will sin? Because Hashem knows everything. So, you know, how do you have a Chirish Chavz that Hashem knows everything? Because Hashem has no concept of time. Present, past, and future doesn't exist for Hashem. That's the basic answer all the Rishonim give. And that's why what? There's no problem with Chirish Chavz if He knows everything. So that's why you have this concept of the new what? Of the new, of having mercy before what? Before the actual Chay. Okay. <clears throat> I want to close with the following. Okay. Let's get it. It says, Vayishma Yoshua is Yoshua heard the sound of the people and they're shouting. Yes? So as Moshe and Yoshua approached the Jewish camp during the worship of the golden calf, Yoshua heard the sound of the people shouting. However, in rendering this Pusik into Aramaic, the Targum Yonason, it's not, you know how you have Mikas Godolos, you ever saw the Targum Yonason? You know there's Targum Unklas, Targum Yonason? It's not really the Targum Yonason. Mercies of McGill, he didn't write a pair, he wrote the parish on Suvim, right? So this is not, it's like a Targum Yushalmi. So the Targum Yonason writes that Yoshua overheard the sound of the people crying while rejoicing before the golden calf. As happiness and tears represent contradictory emotions, this is difficult to comprehend. Were the Jewish people happy or sad? The same time that they're dancing, they're, they're, they're shouting? What's going on with that? Aren't crying and rejoicing two opposites? What's going on with that? So the great Yemeshkiach, Rabbi Rucham Levavitz, Zatzal, once remarked, there's no way to know whether the yeshiva student will merit a portion to Olam Haba, because this is dependent on the actions he chooses with his free will. However, one thing of it which it is possible to be certain is that the Talmud will certainly have no share in the pleasures of this world. Even if he one day chooses to leave the Torah path, God forbid, and attempts to join the forbidden temptations of this world, 
he still won't be able to take pleasure from them. After he spent his formative years learning Torah and listening to ethical discourses about the severity of sin and the ephemeral nature of the illusory pleasures of this world, his inner voice, the Pintal Yid, will nag him so much about the foolishness of his actions that the feeling of guilt will outweigh any temporary enjoyment he may have otherwise felt. That's it happening with Egel. The Aznaim Latur of Sarutskin suggests that similarly after the Jewish people heard Hashem speak directly to them at Har Sinai, the Torah became an intrinsic part of them. Even though they appeared to the naked eye to be festively celebrating and dancing around the golden calf, their souls were weeping and mourning. It was this unique combination of superficial happiness and profound sadness and regret that Yeshua overheard. They really knew what they were doing wrong. It was the pencil of you. They knew that they were doing wrong deep down inside. It was a horrible thing what they did. Terrible. And they knew it. They knew it. They knew they did the wrong thing. And that's why there was this, they're laughing and really crying because deep down they knew they were doing the wrong thing. You follow what I'm saying? That's a very powerful thing, Lamaise. Okay, so we have to keep that in mind, you know, and understand that, um, you know, this world is just, you know, the Hanoz of Oyelim Haza really fleeting. The Iker is all of Haba, and that's what we want to try to get to. But after I may have asked him, working hard with this, Lamaise, and that's exactly what this, you know, with these, remember what I told you uh, last week about these guys that go to extreme? You have to be Bishul Azav. People are on one extreme, they're Magadif. Next thing, who's what? He's, he, he's, oh, how can you have Lechem upon him? The next week, he's what? He's, he's, the next second, he's been cursing Hashem. You have to be Bishul Azav. guy laughs and, you know, laughs and crying at the same time. But what angered Moshe Rabbeinu was the prancing and dancing. That's what he caused. That's why Hashem said, Yashu Koyach. You never get the Geshmak Aver. It's one thing you did a very feel bad. Never get a Shmak about it. Yeah, it says the dancing. The dance. Okay. All right, let's break here. Okay, I'm going to write up the Marmacomas.